Many clinicians rely on fasting blood glucose and hemoglobin A1c as monitors of their patient's control of blood sugar. But in 2007, is that really enough? How current are you on glycemic control? Get ready to be updated. You're listening to ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Antonio Suriello, a professor of diabetes and endocrinology at the University of Warwick in the United Kingdom. He is the author of many books and peer review articles, and some of his most recently published research in diabetes was done at the Clinical Science Research Unit in Coventry, England. Today we're discussing postprandial control, how important is it, and what should your goals be with your diabetic patient. We're so glad to talk to you today, Dr. Seriello. Hello. Okay, first of all, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Clinical Science Research Unit where you do your work? Yes, uh, I'm currently based at Clinical Science Building at Warwick University. That is a really new center for excellence in research in diabetes, and uh, we are particularly focused on the effect of acute hyperglycemia on the complications of diabetes. As clinicians in the past, you know, we were always trained to focus on the fasting blood sugar. Why is that? I believe that we have two questions, two reasons for that. One was that in the past, the effect of uh, postprandial glucose was really unknown. And moreover, we didn't have any tool to control postprandial hyperglycemia until a few years ago. What were we thinking about postprandial hyperglycemia before this? That it wasn't important or? It uh, was supposed to be important, but because we didn't have really any tool to control the particularly postprandial hyperglycemia, so this aspect of diabetes was neglected because if you can take care, clearly you try your uh, temptation is to forget. What do the new recommendations suggest for postprandial glucose readings? Uh, you have to check blood glucose after two hours after the meal and try to have to maintain to below 7.8 millimolar liter. What does the 7.8 convert to for the way oh, we measure? Oh, it's 140 milligram deciliters. Do we have two ways to measure in terms of millimolar liters or milligram deciliters? And uh, it's a 7.8 millimolar liters, I think it's an international unit, or 140 milligram deciliter. Yeah, Americans are converting, but we're not there yet. We're used to the milligrams per deciliter, so... How is this number derived? Because never, we have evidence from the literature that never a normal subject has a postprandial hyperglycemia higher than this, uh, this value. Can patients have good control of their fasting blood sugar, but they can be overshooting on a postprandial glucose? Unfortunately, yes. So we have evidence from the literature that even some well apparently well-controlled patients can have an increase of postprandial blood sugar in a not acceptable range. So tell us a little bit about your work where you looked at this and what did you discover? We started more than 15 years ago looking at the effect of acute effect of hyperglycemia, on particularly on the vascular system. And we found that an increase of glycemia, particularly after a meal, impacts on endothelial function. You know, endothelial function is a uh, endothelium is uh, based on the layer of the cells on the vascular system. It uh, 
is very important that these cells are in healthy situation. And so we found that any increase of glucose, particularly after a meal, can damage these cells. How did you discover that? We performed studies in both patients or healthy subjects, or even in the in vitro system, because it's possible to culture human endothelial cells, and so to study in details the effect of uh, the change of, uh, of uh, the acute change of glucose. Now, what about the importance of postprandial glucose readings in someone who's not even diagnosed as a type 2, but they could be at risk? Maybe they're obese, maybe they have a family history. Did you look at that? Yes, it could be very interesting because you know that the random postprandial value higher than 140 could be a signal that you can have diabetes. So it could be really important to, um, to check post, even random postprandial blood glucose. Even to be honest, there is a standardized approach to this issue. It's a particular text named oral glucose tolerance test, and it's much better to have this standard approach. However, anyway, it could be easy to, easier to check blood glucose in random, randomly sometimes and see what happens. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Antonio Soriello from the Clinical Science Research Unit in Coventry, England. We're discussing postprandial control of blood sugars and what should your goal be with your patients. Maybe some of these aren't even diabetic patients, but you're telling us that the Physicians should consider their risks and aggressively send them for glucose tolerance tests or other screening? This is a way. Glucose tolerance tests are suggested as a screening, particularly if you have a fasting blood glucose between 100 milligram deciliter and 125. This has been is a particular category of a subject at risk. Then in these patients, in these subjects, because they are not really patients, they are still not healthy, considered supposed to be healthy, it could be fine to have an oral glucose tolerance test as a screening approach. How common is post-meal hyperglycemia in diabetic patients? Oh, unfortunately, it's very common. It's very common because it depends on the therapy and particularly on the kind of food. Because clearly the diet is a key answer to this issue of postprandial hyperglycemia. Eating food with low Glycemic index, low glycemic index is a means to eat food with sugars which are not so quickly absorbed. And then in this case, you have a, a slow increase of sugar in the blood. The body can control much better the glycemia. So there is a, this possibility. What about variability in blood glucose readings? Is that important? Oh, unfortunately, it's, it's also important. I, I understand that the, probably the scenario could appear very complex, particularly for the clinical practice point of view. But unfortunately, this is the reality. We have evidence today that uh, postprandial hyperglycemia is only a part of the problem but that any fluctuation of glucose during the day can be very dangerous, for, particularly for the vasculature. And probably this can change the scenario for the therapy in the future. So what is the relationship between post-meal glucose and cardiovascular risk and outcomes? We have strong epidemiological evidence 
even in diabetes, uh, coming from specific longitudinal studies, uh, linking post-meal glucose and the risk of cardiovascular events, but also we have uh, some good evidence that inter- the intervention of postprandial hyperglycemia, in other words, reducing postprandial hyperglycemia, can reduce the risk for uh, particularly for myocardial infarction and stroke. Are there other risks associated with postprandial glucose elevation? Yes, uh, is emerging, but the, there are no still not final proofs that the postprandial hyperglycemia can be also dangerous for the retina and can induce uh, easily or easily depression. And I think that we need more evidence. But uh, just one study has shown that uh, correlation between postprandial hyperglycemia and the risk for cancer. So the scenario is coming to be quite complex, to be honest. Are there other risks associated as well? Until the couple of years ago, we had really focused only on the risk for cardiovascular system and some risk for retinopathy. In the last couple of years, we got evidence that probably also the depression can be influenced by the glucose fluctuations. And recently, unfortunately, there is a, but to be honest, there is only one study suggesting that that uh, uh, fluctuation of glucose can also influence cancer development. Now, were any of these studies in the preclinical area, or were these all done? It's um, just an epidemiological study. How about the elderly? Are they at increased risk? Elderly, is, we, really, we don't have a specific data for uh, in the elderly. In other words, we don't know if uh, they are uh, more prone to the risk or maybe more protected, because clearly when you arrive in the late age, you have, you can have both the aspects. You can be paradoxically more protective against the complications because if you got diabetes earlier and you arrive to be older, this means that your genes can work, probably work very well in protecting you from the complications. I believe at the moment we don't have an answer about that. Okay, now that you've warned us about the risks, what messages do we have for the primary care provider? How do they begin to control these patients if they're on oral agents, for instance? I think that, first of all, the main message coming to the guidelines is please check postprandial hyperglycemia because it is a, a part of the strategy for the optimal control of diabetes. Second, we have a lot of good new oral agents, but the Overall, we can modulate the postprandial hyperglycemia simply modulating the diet, simply changing the diet. So the message is not simply related to drugs, but also in the changing the lifestyle and the kind of food. Isn't this kind of what clinicians were trying to do all along, only maybe they didn't understand the importance of the, the, the post-meal glucose? I hope that they understand because they, they can understand because the evidence supporting this concept are really huge and relevant at the moment. However, the IDF is starting a global strategy for implementing the guidelines, and the key part would be in education also for education information for the physician, of course. So if I hear you right, you're saying we've always advocated use of foods that you know, within the glycemic index that don't shoot up the blood sugar, and we've always emphasized good control, but you now have scientific evidence that it's more than just healthy lifestyle in these people, that there's metabolic effects of having a post-meal glucose shoot up, and that's what's different. 
Yeah, what I mean that a healthy lifestyle is advantageous also in terms of postprandial hyperglycemia, you know, because a healthy, healthy lifestyle means to eat good food and low calories, and low calories usually are a means also food with the low glycemic index. So in other words, again, unfortunately for the modern lifestyle, the message is that a healthy lifestyle is the solution for even for post-meal glucose. Dr. Sariello, thank you for being my guest today. Today we've been discussing diabetes and the new guidelines for managing postprandial glucose. My guest has been Dr. Antonio Sariello from the Clinical Science Research Unit in Coventry, England. And I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.